Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Finance Simplified, the official podcast for street fins. We're here to break down the world of finance for you to understand from a relatable perspective with discussions with experts. This is episode 13, and today I have Alex Patel with me again. How have you been since our last episode? I've been great. The semester's almost over, so we're gearing up for that final push. Now, how would you rate this unique fall semester for you on a scale of 1 through 10? Maybe a 7. Losing out on the social aspects of college has been tough, but being home definitely has its conveniences. What about you? Probably a 7 as well. Not being with my new classmates was pretty disappointing at first, but I thought it was going to be much worse. So I'm quite happy that this past semester has gone pretty smoothly, all things considered. For sure, and hopefully we'll be back in person soon. I'm really looking forward to that sunny California weather. Definitely. So Alex, this is a bit of a different episode compared to our previous ones. Yeah, it is different. This is our first two-part conversation. So this episode is part one, and we'll be releasing our part two episode in two weeks from when this drops. Great. So this is part one, and the topic of both parts is simplifying the U.S. Treasury. Why should we take a look at it right now? Yeah, so we're talking about the U.S. Treasury because it's not only a topic so fundamental to understanding our economy, but it's also incredibly timely given COVID and the actions that the Treasury has taken. Exactly. The U.S. Treasury is one of the two backbones of the U.S. economic system, with the other being the Federal Reserve. If you understand what the Treasury does, you'll definitely be able to understand a lot about the economy and money in general. Our guest is the perfect person to have on to simplify this topic. She was the former Deputy Secretary, which is basically the second-in-command of the U.S. Treasury. So, let's just get to simplifying. From the minds of the students at StreetFins, this is Finance Simplified, the podcast that simplifies the seemingly complex and confusing world of money. I'm your host, Rohan Gupta. The U.S. Treasury is known to most as a department of the U.S. government. It's also ever-present in financial and economic news. U.S. Treasuries. The U.S. Treasury. Treasury Departments. Our guest today is Sarah Bloom Raskin, and she's the former Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, a role she held for three years. As we mentioned, that role meant she was essentially second in command at the U.S. Treasury while she worked there. Her background and career are both so impressive that I'll just let her introduce herself. First of all, happy to join you for this conversation. My name is Sarah Bloom Raskin, and I am the former Deputy Secretary of the United States Treasury, also a former Federal Reserve Governor. I'm currently a professor of the practice at Duke Law School. So looking forward to talking to you today and illuminating some of these financial topics. That's great. We're thrilled to have you on too. I'm curious to know, how did you get interested and eventually pursue a career in finance or rather in economic side of government? So for me, I've always wanted to be able to connect theory to practice. And so, you know, while I started my career as a banking lawyer, I kind of came up through my career during the time when the financial crisis hit. And when I saw what was happening to people during the financial crisis, losing their jobs and losing their homes, that a lot of them had these mortgages that were very complex and challenging to understand, I said to myself, I think I want to be 
part of a solution here. So I wanted to be able to apply what I had learned and studied for many years and what my career had brought to my eyes and decided to really work on the policy side. So what I did, and this was now 2007, is I became the commissioner of financial regulation for the state of Maryland. Prior to that, I had been a banking lawyer and a banking consultant, and I thought to myself what I really want to now do is change my focus to thinking about really what is going to be best for the people of Maryland. So I became the commissioner of financial regulation for Maryland in 2007 and rolled up my sleeves and got to work. It was the beginning days of the financial crisis and a lot had to get done. Definitely. That's actually a really interesting story because I think the 08 crisis really pushed a lot of people out of the financial ecosystem, but it seems like you were actually drawn further into it. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. It was a time, I think, as is now, by the way, where a lot of people who have relevant expertise want to help. They want to actually help fix the problems that are so evident in our economy. They want to patch up the fault lines and fix things in a way that will be sustainable. So yeah, you're exactly right. It was a moment, you know, where people were trying to figure out, like, how can I help? Definitely. Now, I do want to get more into the Treasury itself, and maybe we can go over a little bit of the history. Now, I know the Treasury is probably one of the oldest institutions in U.S. government. I mean, it was founded in 1789, I believe. Do you mind going over maybe what the Treasury is and what its functions are at a basic level and maybe how has it changed over history? Sure, sure. So you're exactly right, Alex. The Treasury is a big agency and it has a lot of different parts to it. So there are functions embedded in the Department of the Treasury that you might not even know are part of Treasury, but because they all have to do with our coins and our dollars and our tax system and the way in which we bring in revenues and the way the U.S. government spends money, you can imagine the breadth, okay? So here are some agencies that are actually part of the U.S. Treasury. One agency is the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. The Bureau of Engraving and Printing is a whole operational arm that prints our dollars and our currency. So big questions there because we have to look at the security of our money. We have to design money that can't be counterfeited and can't be can't be used in the wrong hands to engage in fraud. So we've got a lot of expertise at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and that is part of Treasury. Similarly, you've got the Mint, right? And the Mint, as you know, is the part of our government that creates the coins. So the Mint does all of the work regarding, you know, getting our pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters and our special coins created and designed. And all of those coins, as you know, depend on metals. Treasury has, you know, metallurgists who work for it. And it's really a whole other, you know, operation, but again, part of Treasury. 
the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, that is a part of Treasury as well, and that is our taxing authority. So that is the part of the U.S. government responsible for bringing in tax revenues. And, you know, tax revenues, we need tax revenues. That's how the federal government pays for things, is through tax revenues. Also, there is an arm of Treasury called the Comptroller of the Currency. And the Comptroller of the Currency is the regulator of national banks. And that is an independent arm of Treasury, but again, within the Treasury family. And I could go on and on. There are, <laughs> there are more than even those agencies. But, you know, in addition to all of the component parts of Treasury, there is a very important set of policy making functions that occur at Treasury. And the organization around those functions, you know, fall into different categories. We have people engaged in what we call domestic finance, which are all the financial and regulatory issues in the U.S., We have a division called International Affairs, which is the connection of Treasury to all of its counterparts around the world. So the International Division of Treasury is a very important component part. And then there is a part, probably one of the more relatively new parts of Treasury, which is the section on terrorism and financial intelligence. So this is the part of Treasury that actually looks to trace funds that are in bad hands. So you might have heard of money laundering, and money laundering has an antidote in policy, which is anti-money laundering, and rules have been established for financial institutions to follow that help the U.S. government track the use of illicit funds. And so the people who work on the side of Treasury having to do with financial intelligence and anti-terrorism are engaged in that important work. And as you can imagine, there are all sorts of experts that are brought into Treasury. There are people who are economists, so there's a whole group that does economic analysis. There are people who are tax policy specialists. They are very critical people who help the government figure out what the right tax policies should look like and what the impact of different tax policies might be. You know, and then there are all sorts of economic policy issues have a home in the U.S. Treasury Department. So it's a big operation and it's a very interesting operation because every part of it, you know, touches the U.S. economy in some way. Right. When you think of treasury, you really just think of, I think, minting coins and maybe treasury bonds and treasury bills, but the scope is truly unprecedented. Now, I do have a question about more specifically the debt, and I think this is going to be something that is a big topic going forward, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic. But how does the treasury manage the public debt and what is the debt ceiling? Right. So you're exactly right to know that this is another function of treasury and that this function is very important to the financial condition of our country. So the treasury department is in fact the issuer of debt. And remember I mentioned the IRS, you know, there's really two forms of the way 
in which Treasury finances the activities of the U.S. And one way is through tax receipts. So it takes in the money that people pay who are members of our society. But it has another way to bring in money, and that is by issuing debt. And that debt is a special kind of debt. It's a security, and it can take the form of either a Treasury bill, which is very short term, or a Treasury bond, which has a longer duration and comes in different flavors of duration. So we have experts at the Treasury Department who know the best mix of what that debt issuance should look like. So they are responsible for advising the Secretary of the Treasury on questions of how much debt should be issued and in what denominations. And the issuance of that debt becomes a very important function of our economy. As you know, treasuries are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. So in other words, our security here in the U.S. is such that if you lend money to the Treasury Department, you will get it back. Okay, if you lend money to the U.S., you will get it back. It is backed by what we call the full faith and credit. So treasuries are a very important instrument that are used to finance our economy. And as you know, and as people who work in the private sector know, there are traders who actually trade treasuries and are expert in what the value is of those treasuries at any given time. So debt issuance turns out to be a very important function for any advanced economy. And in the U.S., as in other countries, that function sits with the finance ministry or the treasury department. I think that's super important to know that not only is the public debt just managed, but it also has a function with financial markets and investors. And I want to sort of dig deeper on this topic. And you explained very clearly that, you know, these treasury bonds and the debt that the treasury issues, it's considered to be kind of risk-free because the government won't default on paying those. But I also want to ask, could you talk about the metrics around the types of treasury bonds and also talk about what the yield curve is? So treasury securities are most easily thought about as obligations of the U.S. government. So they are debt instruments. They represent a borrowing of the U.S. government. And in exchange for that borrowing, the U.S. government promises to the holder of the security to pay a certain amount of interest. So there are really two features to any treasury instrument. One is the price of it, what it's trading at, and the other, the interest rate that it pays. Very interesting relationship between the interest rate and the price. They move in opposite directions. So the higher the yield, which is another way of saying what the interest rate is, the lower the price. And the other sort of special quality of a treasury security is that it's considered risk-free, but it's considered a safe haven for a lot of other countries. So when things are tumultuous in the world, you see demand for treasury securities go up. People want to hold them. They want to hold them because they are representative of a security and a debt 
that will get repaid and is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. So these are special instruments, these treasury securities, not just for us in the U.S., but worldwide. So you can imagine, like in the pandemic that we're in, when the pandemic first surfaced, other countries and investors in other countries wanted to hold this foundational security, the treasury. And so demand for treasuries went up. As you can imagine that, as you know, from basic economics, when you know demand goes up, the price goes up. So the price became very high for treasuries. And as I said, there's this inverse relationship between price and yield. And so the yield went down. So pushing the yield of the security of the treasury down. So the behavior of treasuries is always a fascinating barometer for the health of our country. And it's a a security that the Fed, for example, pays a lot of attention to. And you also might know that during the financial crisis, the Fed purchased treasury securities as part of its quantitative easing program. And right now, the Fed is in the midst of purchasing massive amounts of treasuries of different durations as part of its economic response and monetary accommodation during this period. So a lot to say. There's a lot to think about and say about treasuries. And when we say treasuries, we mean the debt instrument that the Treasury Department issues. Now back to the conversation. Yeah, and you were mentioning the Federal Reserve and the actions they took in in 2008 as well, and even now. And, you know, when someone is trying to learn about the economic institutions of the country, they'll learn about the Fed, they'll learn about the Treasury, and then maybe like the Department of Commerce or something. And then they'll all read somewhere, somehow, that all these are institutions that are dedicated to promoting economic stability or economic growth. But that can also kind of get confusing in trying to figure out you know, what are the distinct responsibilities of each? So in regards to the Department of Commerce and the Federal Reserve, how does the Treasury differ in its regulation of the economy or its role in the economy from those two? So it's very common to get the functions of the Treasury Department confused with the functions of the Federal Reserve, but they're actually two distinct economic policy mechanisms. They work best when they work together, but they are really designed in different ways to have a different kind of impact. And also, they're actually, they have different origins in terms of how they've come to be. So the Treasury Department primarily is engaged in what's called fiscal policy. It's an executive branch agency of our government. It's there to execute essentially the financial functions of purchasing securities and selling government securities. So it's a a sale and purchase kind of operation, taxing and spending. And it is supposed to do that in accordance with how Congress directs it to. So actually, this is a very interesting live question at the moment, because you might have noticed that there are these executive orders that have been issued that essentially engage in appropriations of congressional funds, which is something that is a separation of problems issue. But we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about that separately. But the point is, is that the Treasury Department is an executive branch agency. The Congress makes decisions about spending and taxation, and the Treasury executes on those laws. 
the Federal Reserve engages in monetary policy. So what the Federal Reserve does primarily is it engages in open market operations. It buys and it sells treasuries as a way of bringing about certain credit conditions, setting certain interest rates in the economy so that the economy neither overheats nor underperforms. So the idea here is that Congress gave the Federal Reserve a dual mandate, two things to do. It said, you know, we want you to maximize employment. We want you to maintain price stability, and that's the inflation mandate. And in order to do that, we're going to give you a certain set of tools. The tools that the Fed uses are different from the tools that the Treasury uses. And the Fed, by the way, is not an executive branch agency, the way we just said Treasury is. The Fed is considered a central bank. It's considered an independent agency. And it is designed in such a way that it is supposed to be thinking long term, not just in terms of who gets reelected and who's in power. You know, The terms of the Federal Reserve governors are quite long. And part of that is so that you're encouraged to think long-term about those two mandates that I talked about, price stability and maximizing employment. So the Fed has a different mandate from Treasury, but when you have a crisis, like the kind of crisis that we're in, you start to see how all these levers need to be implemented. There's a big role for Treasury. There's a big role for the Fed because both monetary policy and fiscal policy are being brought to bear. Now, of course, there are other functions. I'm making this very simple, but there are other functions that both agencies engage in. You know, they engage in regulatory policy. They engage in sanctions work. So there's a whole host of other economic policy tools that are brought to bear. But for purposes of your listeners, I think the good thing to keep in mind is that they are distinct. The Treasury does fiscal policy. The Fed does monetary policy. And those two sets of policies are meant to be focused on different parts of the economy. All right. Yeah. I want to kind of go back and talk about what you're saying about the role of the U.S. Treasury internationally and how it's sort of a safe haven, not just for our domestic investors, but also foreign countries and their investors too. You know, when we read about articles that are talking about how other countries like China own our debt, what does that sort of mean? And what is the implication of that, like a specific country owning our debt? Right. So there are investors that exist as individuals. There are investors that exist as, say, pensions. There are investors that exist as companies, as foundations, as endowments. I mean, there are a whole host of entities that are doing investing. And as part of their investing strategies and portfolios, they are going to look at the whole, you know, bailiwick of possibilities for creating their portfolios. Governments do this too. So governments themselves are investors in the securities of other countries. So for example, you know, it's not just China that, you know, might own US treasuries, but you will see a lot of countries issue their bonds, their, you know, their sovereign bonds and have those bonds be bought up by other countries or other investors. So it's all one big investing sort of investing platform, so to speak. And, you know, and the implications of what it might mean is, you know, you can imagine if at any point a country or any investor holds a major controlling portion of a country's 
securities, a country's debt, then as would be the case when any shareholder owns or bondholder owns a lot of a company's securities, they have power, they have control. And in, you know, in the government context, this triggers, you know, considerations of national security, right? So what would it mean if there were a country that owned such a large portion of another country's debt issuance that that country that had made the loan, so to speak, through these securities to the other country could, in essence, you know, control the the well-being um, and the prosperity and the national security interests of the country whose debt it purchased. Now, we in the U.S. are not, you know, in a situation where any one country controls the U.S. by virtue of holding a majority of our debt issuance. But the questions that you raise are questions that people at Treasury have to think about all the time, because you can imagine there being a possibility, maybe a remote one, but a possibility where one country can control another through the purchase ownership of a large enough and controlling stake in that country's portfolio. Hey everyone, that was the end of part one of our two-part interview with Sarah Bloom Raskin on simplifying the U.S. Treasury. We'll be releasing part two of our interview in about two weeks from when this releases. But the first half of the conversation was absolutely incredible. Alex, what were some of the key takeaways from this first part? I think one takeaway is that the Treasury can be thought of as one of the main institutions that governs our economy. Whether it's through coming up with new policy, as it's done time and time again, or through maintaining the economy's logistics by printing new coins and dollars, the Treasury's role is to ensure our economy is functioning properly. Exactly. And while they may often be confused, the Treasury is very different from the Federal Reserve because of the tools it has to influence the economy. The Treasury is involved with fiscal policy, while the Fed is involved with monetary policy. Definitely. And another function that pertains mainly to investors is bond issuance. T-bonds are structured like any other bond, as they have a price, interest rate, and a maturity date. However, they are distinct because they are regarded as the safest investment in the world, due to the U.S. government's status as the most creditworthy borrower. That's why investors, both domestically and abroad, often buy more U.S. Treasury bonds if they feel bad times are ahead. Exactly. And through that act of buying and holding U.S. Treasuries, foreign governments can own and fund part of the U.S. government's debt. While it may not have a big impact on a country like the U.S., buying a country's debt can give power to that lending country over the borrowing country, which has a whole range of potential implications. Agreed. Well, those were our takeaways for part one. Part two will be out two weeks from now. We'll talk to you then. Hey guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. It truly means the world to us. If you like this episode and others, let us know by subscribing and giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts and following us on Spotify. Share us with your friends and check us out on Instagram and Twitter, both at StreetFins. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rohan Invest. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email fspodcast at streetfins.com. Thanks once again to Sarah Bloom Raskin for her insights today. I hope you understand the topic of the U.S. Treasury in a more simplified way. You can check her out on Twitter at sbloomraskin. 
Once again, we're really happy that you're taking the initiative to learn finance and to better your future. If you haven't already, we highly encourage you to check out streetfins.com for articles, videos, and other content. Join the Streetfins community and tell your friends about us so that they can learn about finance too. We'll talk to you next time on Finance Simplified.